Hey everybody, and welcome to the first Sunday edition of the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football, your college football insider. And with me today, we've got Ryan McDonald. Howdy. <laughs> and you know what? That's a great place to start, actually. <laughs> We're live right now at Kyle Field. Texas A&M versus Northwestern State just ended. Texas A&M 59, Northwestern State 7. Ryan, what did you think of Jimbo Fisher's debut? I thought it was about what you expected. You knew it wasn't, I think uh, A&M was like a 48-point favorite, so you knew it wasn't going to be a close thing. But nonetheless, A&M came in, took care of business. I thought you saw some really big games out of uh, Kellen Mond and Travion Williams especially. So uh, just getting this first win under Jimbo's belt is definitely going to feel good going into next weekend. Well, you mentioned Travion Williams. He posted 240 yards, which actually ranked second most in Texas A&M history behind uh, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was from 1950. I mean, this was a really special game, and he only had three carries in the second half. Yeah, that, that was really what stuck out to me in this one. I mean, he had a really solid first half, got the ball three times in the third quarter, and then was just done for the day. And he had already racked up 240 yards, which was incredible. He just was elusive. He was powerful, and he just the Northwestern State defense was just no match for him. He just got what he, whatever he wanted each yeah, run. Yeah, well, and, and you know, one of the interesting things about it is that I don't think of the offensive line necessarily did the greatest job today, you know, and not that they did a bad job, but they're very young, and you saw that happen at times, but Trayvon was just bursting through everything, you know, nobody could really keep a hand on him, um, you know, obviously last year he had some injury issues, he missed a couple of games, uh, you know, and he was limited in a lot of other games, but this year it really looks like he's healthy, it looks like he's able to to move very freely, he had a couple of breakaway runs that really looked like his freshman year all over again, uh, except he's bigger and stronger now. Do you think that Jimbo Fisher might see something like this, and, and obviously we've seen all offseason, but this really looks like an offense maybe that could be based more around the run than we expected. For sure, and we've definitely seen Travion show us in glimpses of what he can become, and he just put it together for a full half and a drive really today. And uh, with with this fullback and the, the integration of the tight end as well, it just and, and, and a really an emphasis on receivers blocking down the field really served to his his benefit because um, you could just see that th- he had a he didn't necessarily have gaping holes created by the offensive line, but what he was able to do, and uh, Coach Fisher talked about really not just his speed but his acceleration once he got past broke a couple of tackles and then he was gone. Uh, just really, I, I just feel like this system is really created for a feature back like him to be successful and. Uh, we've seen it in past Jimbo Fisher um, seasons, but definitely. Devontae Freeman, Cam Akers, Dalvin The list Cook. goes on. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and those are guys who played on uh, who play on Sundays now. Uh, well, other than Cam Akers, who's currently at Florida State. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher does have a reputation, and, and obviously Jameis Winston is a big part of this, of creating some great quarterbacks. But I think it is a little foolish to look past the running backs. And, and like you said, you know, they've integrated the fullback to a large extent now. Um, and... and the other thing that we saw from Trayvon that we maybe didn't see before is that he's really doing a good job running in between the tackles. And before, maybe he was more kind of swinging to the outside. Maybe he was, uh, you know, creating, creating opportunities in other ways. But now he's kind of getting in the eye formation. He's running power. He's, he's doing things that we've never seen him do before. Exactly. And last year, that was kind of Keith Ford's role. He was really the guy who stuffed it up the middle. And Trayvon really looked for those, uh, those outside runs. Uh, outside the tackles, but you saw Travion tonight go straight through the uh, Northwestern State defensive line and then 
get past the linebackers as well, and that's something that will serve it serves as a good end indicator going against uh, our, uh, for definitely the best defensive line uh, in the country against Clemson next weekend. So I was a little bit surprised when Kellamon was named the starter. Uh, I, I don't know whether I liked what I saw last year so much. Uh, he really struggled with accuracy. He really struggled to to maintain his pocket presence. He was often a little frazzled running around. The guy that I saw today, even though he was under pressure a decent amount with an FCS team, he looked calm. He looked composed. He finishes with 184 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, complete 68% of his passes. I mean, is this what you expected from him? Uh, I don't know if I, this is what I expected him of him to this extent. I mean, last year he definitely looked like a, a true fresh, true freshman. I was just thrown into the fire and really struggled in, uh, like you said, his accuracy and then definitely his decision-making as well. Tonight he just looked like a, a full-grown senior and just was comfortable, even though he wasn't getting the, the best pass protection. He, he looked comfortable in there. He's, his throw, his accuracy was uh, perfect in, in a lot of cases. And uh, I don't know, we even saw him out in, in the spread a few times, and I think that's the element that Jimbo Fisher really likes and the advantage that he has over... Uh, Nick Starkle, who it looks like the the battle was decided tonight for sure. Um, yeah, it just it, it seems like Nick Starkle would have been um, be- a better fit as a more pro style, but uh, just the element that Kellen Mond has with it that he's able to uh, move the change with his feet is just really uh, something that I think Jimbo really really likes in him. Well, let's loosen things up a little bit, okay? You know, Jimbo Fisher obviously has been at Texas A&M for only a couple months now, and you currently are Texas A&M students, so you've gotten to kind of see him not just on the football field, but you've gotten to see him around campus, you know, be involved in Aggie activities. I mean, <laughs> obviously there are just so many traditions at Texas A&M. <laughs> How do you think he's doing as, uh, integrating into that community? Um, it's, it, I'm not going to lie, it hasn't been as smooth as we saw in the spring game. He was, he was really confused by the whole sawing him off tradition, but he, he seems to be adapting it more. And then we saw, I saw in the, the spirit walk today, he was a little confused by it all. And he seems just, I mean, the, the school really fits him and his personality. It's just a matter of him grasping the, uh, the magnitude of the traditions because, I mean, with anyone, really, it kind of catches him off guard. But there's a bit of a buffering period, but I, I see it uh, coming around with him. <laughs> is, there a tr- is there a school in the entire world that's more tied to its traditions than Texas A&M? If there is one, I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I mean, it's people always say, like, you're brainwashed if you're an Aggie. But, I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but it, it's close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is actually my first time at, at Kyle Field and, and at Texas A&M, too. It's really a special place. I mean, I, I went to Baylor just for people to understand, you know, and, and Baylor has a lot of traditions, things like that, but man, <laughs> you walk right onto the, uh, to College Station, you, you walk onto Texas A&M's campus, you walk up to Kyle Field. It's just amazing to me how sort of unified everybody is, right? And, and you know, you kind of see there's sort of that very military mindset and very all, all of that. But I think that it makes for such a cool experience. I mean, I was down there on the field when they're doing power. I'm down on the field when they're when the yell leaders are leading chants. I mean, I've never really seen anything like that. Yeah, it's just it's just different than anything around the country. I mean, like they always say, like you don't really understand it until you come here and see it. And just to see how the the student body is. It's cliche, but it's uh, they really are unified, and I don't know 
that there's many other schools I would have as full of a student section here on a, a school night, really, in the first week of school. I mean, I, there was 96,000 people here. Uh, so the, just the alumni s- support and then the fans, I mean, the tailgating, all, all of it just makes for really an incredible game day experience for everyone involved. Well, Ryan, what we got you here, I mean, this is going to be our recap show typically. You know, again, we're going to generally have a show on Wednesdays slash Wednesday night that comes out. It's more of a look ahead and Sunday's going to be more of our recap show. But next week is a big game. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the best team in the country, arguably, is coming to town. Uh, luckily, we'll both get to be there for that. I mean, gosh, we got the best jobs in the world, don't we? Yeah, it's a rough life. <laughs> <laughs> but number one overall, Clemson comes to town on Saturday. Kyle Field, <laughs> the lights are going to be out. Uh, I mean, again, you know, we... We had 96,000 people here for a game against Northwestern State. This place is going to be rocking, but at the same time, like we talked about, the offensive line had a little bit of trouble protecting uh, Kellen Mond. And one thing that they really had trouble with at times was sometimes recognizing these disguised blitzes. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of times when people broke through the line almost untouched and got, in, got him, got Trayvon Williams a couple of times. And now you talk about Clemson, they don't have to bring anybody extra. They can get to the quarterback just with their front four. I mean, this is maybe the best front four that we've ever seen. Yeah, Clemson has four defensive linemen who were potentially first-round draft picks. And a couple of times tonight I just saw the faces of the student, like uh, when just a, uh, a defender would break through the line untouched and just have a full-on shot at Kellen Mond. And, uh, that that just can't happen next week, and so they definitely need to do some tuning up on their pass protection before next weekend, and because uh, they're going to have a tough test under the lights here next Saturday. What are your expectations for that game? Because you know the reality is this is Jimbo Fisher's first year. This is still a pretty young team. I, I mean, Travion's a junior, but a lot of the talent on the team is underclassmen. You know, we talked about the offensive line very extensively throughout the game. I mean. Eric McCoy is pretty experienced. He's obviously got two years of starting experience under his belt at offensive center. But after that, I mean, they brought back a lot of the starters from the offensive line, and they just got benched because they weren't good. And now all of a sudden you have to go play against not just Clemson next week, but against Alabama week four. I mean, is this going to be a wake-up call, or do you think think that people on campus are ready for what could happen, I guess? Um, Generally, I would say... uh, I guess battered Aggie syndrome. It's, <laughs> it's uh, hurt a lot, but You're absolutely right. our uh, expectations are usually low. But with Jimbo, I think it's kind of more of a we can hang in there is kind of the feeling. Just like we saw last year with uh, when Alabama came to town, it was I think it was twenty seven nineteen. It was it was we took them to the fourth quarter. But I think with uh, with A and M, it's just it, for my personal opinion, I just feel like they're just too young I feel like they will get there and they have the recruiting to definitely get there within the next couple years but as of right now I mean you got a sophomore quarterback uh there's no senior receivers on the roster um it just it's just a young core of guys and um I I just trying to keep my expectations low for next weekend but I I really I hope it's a good game You, you know there were only a couple of indicators that Jimbo Fisher could really have in this game. I mean, we could look a little bit at quarterback play, especially when it comes to accuracy. Uh, we could look a little bit at the offensive line play. We could look a little bit at play calling, really. And that's one area where I think that he really did excel. You know, you, you saw the tight end be used. You saw the fullback be used. These are things that we haven't seen in College Station in quite a while, obviously. 
Um, you know, how would you grade his his performance, Jimbo Fisher's performance in this first game? I thought it was great. I thought it, the play calling really played to uh, the Aggies' strength. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you have uh, Jay Sternberger, who's a great blocker, but he's also can be a guy that's a great vertical threat. So him getting downfield, Calamon being able to hit him. Uh, in, right in the hands is, is just something that is, is a dangerous weapon to any opposing defense. And then using uh, Colin Gillespie, who is uh, the, our uh, starting fullback, just kind of helps in um, in pass protection as well with kind of a, a struggling offensive line. I wouldn't throw Eric McCoy into that into that mix, but the the other I mean Keaton, Keaton Sutherland he he has his good days, but the other three are really question marks I would say and um, so that's just really the scariest thing going forward but as far as Jimbo's performance I, I would grade it uh, just uh, just grade an A I mean it's not it, it's definitely not tough competition out there but I really think that there are a lot of things that he did that really uh, did themselves some favors you know, Jimbo took a, blue, a blow-off class during his first week at, at Texas A&M, and he passed with flying colors. I also give him an A. I think he did a great job. And you know what? But his next tests are going to be large. It's going to be Clemson. It's going to be Alabama with ULM in between. And then you get right into the SEC slate. It's not going to get any easier, but we will be there to talk about it. Anyway, everybody, Ryan McDonald, how can we, how can we follow you? Uh, you can follow me on uh, social media, uh, I, I use Twitter a lot, at Ryan underscore McDonald, too. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to have Ryan on the program plenty more as the year goes along. Ryan's going to be covering Texas A&M for us as a college contributor, and we're excited to have him. He's doing a great job with us. And look, Texas A&M games are only going to keep getting bigger. We're going to only keep being at Kyle Field, and we're excited to have you back. Awesome. No more uh, Northwestern State games. No, absolutely not. Tougher competition ahead. Absolutely. Excited. Well, when we come back after the break, we're going to go and recap the rest of the games. Obviously, right now we're here at Kyle Field. It's Thursday night. The rest of the games haven't happened. I mean, we can maybe try and uh, project a little bit forward, but I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a good idea. <laughs> so we'll be back with you uh, after the break to talk about the rest of the Texas college football slate from Saturday. And we are back. This is Jahan Jayaraja the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And we've time-traveled, baby. <laughs> we're, we're now here on Saturday night, Sunday morning. I mean, it's, oh, gosh. I'm not going to tell you how early in the morning it is, but we are here. All the games are done. We're here to talk about all of them. And my goodness, we have to start with UNT playing SMU. Hey, UNT just kicking the crap out of SMU. I mean, I didn't see this coming. I, I thought that UNT would have a great shot to pull off a win against SMU, but my goodness, 46-23 to is the final, and that was not really how close the rest of the game was. I mean, UNT came out there, they took like a 33-0 to lead, SMU really didn't have anything going, either offensively or defensively, and look, I've said from the beginning, Mason Fine is the best quarterback in the state, and he proved it. He proved it against SMU. You know, again, a, a team that really... Even though they're both group of five teams, I mean, again, the AAC historically has a little bit more clout than Conference USA does. But UNT comes out there, they punch them right in the mouth, they go up a bunch of scores, they're up a bunch at the half. Mason Fine, check out this stat line. 
40 for 50 for 444 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, those are video game numbers. Those are numbers that maybe I couldn't even put up in a video game. I mean, especially with some of those old college football uh, 14 games. I mean, come on. It's not that easy to pass. You can't just go out there and throw for 444 yards all the time. But Mason Fine goes out there, does it. I mean, watching that game, was it was just a thing of beauty. I, I mean... It's one of the best performances by a quarterback that I've seen in the state in a little while. And this is a state known for quarterbacks. But Fine just goes out there. He, he dices up that defense. He makes SMU look like they're a D3 team. I mean, I mean, and I, I don't know. I just haven't seen you know a quarterback be able to dice up a defense like that in a very long time. Especially one that's, you know, when they're playing a team that they're supposed to maybe not even be favored against. But UNT comes out, and they put not just the state on notice, but they put Conference USA on notice. Because look at what happened in Norman. You know, Oklahoma went out and beat FAU. I think the final score was 63-14. to 14. I mean, it was never close. It was never competitive. Uh, Kyler Murray just demolished what FAU was doing. And granted, I mean, Oklahoma's a top 10 team in the country. SMU is a team that's fighting for bowl eligibility and might be worse than that. But just look at the way that these two teams came out and fought, right? Because North Texas comes out, again, they're playing against a team that historically has been very successful against them. And they just come out so strong. And, And really, the most impressive thing was not just Mason Fine. It was that defense. I mean, I mean... UNT coming into this year was not supposed to have a defense. And granted, they'll have tougher tests than SMU ahead, but heading into the fourth quarter, the game was pretty much in hand, and, and SMU had like 50 total yards. I mean, this was an absolutely dominant performance by the defense, and, and really, out of those 23 points, the vast majority came in the fourth quarter when the game was all but over. I mean, again, they pulled Mason Fine early in the fourth quarter, so look... North Texas coming into this year had a lot of expectations. You know, they were picked to win Conference USA West. Uh, a lot of people thought that what would happen is that they'd play Florida Atlantic in the title game and, and, and win or lose. But now I think that you have to look at North Texas as not just a team that's a West Division favorite. I think that you have to look at them as a team that really should be able to go out there and win Conference USA. I, I mean, again, they just... If they're able to replicate that defensive performance that, that we saw against SMU, and even if they're able to do just a little bit less than that, I mean, Mason Fine is so good. Like, I, I know I keep saying it, but he is the best quarterback in Texas. He, he's dominant. He's absolutely dominant. You know, he threw for more than 4,000 yards last year. There are only two returning uh, quarterbacks in college football that did that. That's Mason Fine and that's Mackenzie Milton at UCF. So, when you talk about rarefied air, that's what Mason Fine is this year. Uh, and look, this was a huge game for UNT. It was one of the biggest crowds at Apogee Stadium, uh, if not the biggest. I need to actually check those final numbers. But this was always hyped to be one of the biggest games in the history of UNT and Denton. And they came, they were up for the challenge. And again, they have tough tests ahead. I mean, they have to go on the road to Arkansas. They have to host FAU in a game that I hopefully will be able to be at. But I mean, again, UNT really impressed us. To me, they're the story of this weekend. Um, and, and just what a job Seth Luttrell has done there, right? Because when he took over the program, UNT had just won one game in a season. They went 1-11. They lost 
66 to 7 to Portland State. And now all of a sudden we're talking about them winning Conference USA, destroying SMU. This is not something that we've seen really almost ever before at UNT because we've seen them win nine games before. I mean, again, Dan McCartney had a nine win season. And our good friend Jordan Stepp, you know, friend of the show, SID over at UNT, did point out that there were two seasons in which UNT did win 10 plus games. But it's been a while, you know, it, it's been a while and it hasn't necessarily been at this level. And especially coming off of a nine win season, uh, to, to come in and at least in game one to meet expectations when you've got that level of expectation, that's special. That, that's what great teams do. Good teams can have a great year every so often. Great teams and great programs are the ones that can follow up and build on that and continue to grow as a program. And at least for one week, and, and we'll see what happens after this, but at least for one week, UNT has in fact done that. Now let's move down the road to the University of Texas. I don't know what just happened in Landover. I, I, I don't understand what just happened in Landover. I mean, I mean, heading into last year, you know, Tom Herman was this hyped coach. He had so much success at Houston right away, and the roster was built for him to have success again right away at Texas. I mean, and they lose week one against Maryland. So now you come back, you bring back a lot of your experience, a lot of your roster, especially offensively. Uh, you have a little bit more offensive line depth. I mean, you really should, in a lot of ways, be a better team overall. And you go and lose to Maryland again. And this is a Maryland team that's that's reeling a little bit. I mean, again, head coach DJ Durkin is suspended. It's, it's offensive coordinator Matt Canada is the guy running the show right now. And, and Canada, I think, is a very underrated football mind. I mean, I, I don't think that Ed Orgeron got, gave him enough time at LSU to be able to be successful. But at the same time, I mean, Matt Canada outcoached Tom Herman to the nth degree, especially in that first half. Um, you know, Texas just really struggled to move the ball. They, they got down early. It was like 17-7. Then it was like 24-7. And look, <laughs> when we thought about the quarterback battle at Texas, it was between Shane Bouchelle and Sam Ellinger, right? Well, the whole draw of starting Ellinger is that, one, he can be sort of that dual threat guy, which he was able to do to an extent. I mean, he did have... 30 yards rushing on seven carries. But the big issue was last season, he had some major turnover issues. Like, like some really, really significant turnover issues. Uh, obviously, the, the one that comes to mind is the game against Oklahoma State when he threw an inexplicable interception at the very end of the game and it ended up costing them the game. I, I mean, and so now this year you come in uh, and... Texas has the ball. They're only down four. They have a chance to drive. And, and I don't think I mentioned the finals yet. It was 34-29. to 29. But Texas had a chance at the very end of the game to be able to go down the field, drive down the field, score a touchdown, and win the game with less than two minutes left. And Sam Ellinger, he throws an interception. And, and again, I mean, he's still only a true sophomore. I mean, we don't have to write the story on Sam Ellinger right now. But it is a little concerning, right? That this isn't maybe just fresh in the stakes. Maybe this is a little bit more than that. That Maybe they're continuing now that he's a sophomore. And you just have to be worried that, hey, maybe this is just who he is. Maybe he's just going to make some of these mistakes. Because on a couple of those interceptions, too, he had time. 
and, and tried to create something, and instead of giving up on the play, and sometimes you just have to give up on the play, he refused to give up on the play and ended up throwing it and trying to make a play that he couldn't really make, and it was intercepted, and that was the ball game. And now for the second year in a row, Texas starts 0-1. They once again have to play USC Week 3. I mean, things could get rough. I mean, Texas's schedule is pretty difficult, and especially, if, again, Maryland, I think, is an underrated team. I, I think that they are going to be fighting for bowl eligibility. And if they don't lose all of their quarterbacks last season, and that's not an exaggeration, they lost four quarterbacks over the course of the season. But if they don't lose those quarterbacks, you know, they're probably a better team last year, too. And so while, you know, there is some fun to, to poking fun at text and saying you lost to Maryland twice, I mean, Maryland should be okay. But the issue is more... If you're losing to teams that are fighting for bowl eligibility when you're supposed to be this team that, you know, analysts have picked to make the playoff, and obviously not very legitimately, but, you know, that that they're number 23 in the country. They had expectations this year. It, they were supposed to compete for the Big 12. And if you're a step below Maryland right now, well, all of a sudden the schedule looks a lot tougher because, granted, you have Tulsa next week. That should be a win, but then you play... USC, you play TCU, you're at Kansas State, which Texas fans already obviously know is a very tough place for them to play. You're in the Red River River rivalry, excuse me, guys, apparently I've lost my ability to speak there. Uh, You know, you get a respite against Baylor, but then at Oklahoma State versus West Virginia, and and the, the end is manageable at Texas Tech versus Iowa State and at Kansas but man, you have to fight through a lot just to get to those winnable games at the end of the year. You know, there really aren't very many of them that that you really feel good about, right? I mean, because, again, you go on the road to Texas Tech, that's a pretty winnable game. I mean, again, we don't know what Texas Tech is going to look like at that point. Uh, you go at Kansas, obviously that should be a winnable game. You know, hosting Iowa State, that's winnable. Hosting Baylor, that should be winnable. But again, you have to... You have to host West Virginia. You have to go to Stillwater. You have to go to Manhattan. I mean, these are 50-50 games at best. And all of a sudden, if you start thinking, wait, maybe I can't write those in as victories, the season starts to look a lot different. You know, and and granted, Tom Herman doesn't need to be competing for championships right now. It would be nice if he could. I mean, I think he has the roster to start, but he doesn't need to be competing for championships right now. What he does need to do is he needs to build a sustainable model at Texas, and he needs to win the games that, that Texas should be winning. And Texas should be beating Maryland, just point-blank period. There really isn't an excuse to not beat Maryland. Again, it, it's sort of a befuddling loss, and I, I mean, I, I just... Where do you go from here? You know, Where do you go from here if you're Texas? Because I, I don't see a whole lot more easier games left on the schedule... And, you know, there were bright spots. I mean, little Jordan Humphrey had 82 yards. Ellinger did throw for 263 yards and two touchdowns. But, again, you just those interceptions come with it. And all of a sudden, that defense is starting to look pretty ordinary. You know, I mean, Todd Orlando is a great defensive coordinator. But I think that people are underestimating how much talent he had last season that he kind of stepped into. Because Malik Jefferson was experienced. He was inconsistent, but he was experienced. Same with Holton Hill, same with Chris Boyd, and and Chris Boyd's back, but uh, same with Deshaun Elliott. These are guys who had played a lot of snaps before, even if their production wasn't necessarily consistent. 
And now all of a sudden you're having to step in, play guys who aren't really used to playing football very consistently, uh, not to mention bringing in some freshmen as well and some talented freshmen like Caden Stearns, but still freshmen. You know, guys who are going to make freshman mistakes at points. It, it just, all of a sudden, I think that Texas' trajectory looks a whole lot worse than maybe you thought it did a few weeks ago, and and that's concerning. You know, I, I mean, again, obviously, I don't think it's fair to remotely try to talk about, you know, expectations or whatever until a little bit later, but that's concerning. And, and I think ultimately, again, I, I don't know what expectations are for this season anymore, but I think they probably have to be readjusted. Maybe we can readjust them again after the USC game, because Texas did rebound last year, but, oh boy, <laughs> this, is a, this is another bad start. Anyway, we're going to move down to another game that I was at, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. This was played at NRG Stadium in Houston. The Advocare kickoff Texas Classic something or the other. I don't know. There, there's an Advocare kickoff. There's an Advocare Classic. I I don't know. Point is, Texas Tech loses 47-27 to the Ole Miss Rebels. And unfortunately, it looks like they may be without their starting quarterback for a little while. McLean Carter did end up starting this game Uh he was in a three-man quarterback race with Jet Duffy, a sophomore, and freshman Alan Bowman. And it was a little bit surprising because Cliff Kingsbury did opt to put in Alan Bowman instead of Jet Duffy after McLean Carter was injured. And Bowman is a really good player. He threw for, some, I think, like 13,000 yards and 119 touchdowns in high school at Grapevine High School. He was a four-year player there. But at the same time, it's, it's like Jet Duffy was Mr. Texas football. You know, I mean, our publication named him that because he was a fantastic quarterback in high school. And granted, he's had all of his off-the-field issues, and, and some think that maybe he shouldn't be on, on the roster anymore, which is a discussion for another day. <laughs> but it's really concerning to me that, that Duffy isn't that next guy up. It means that he really doesn't seem to be grasping what Texas Tech wants him to do. And and Cliff even said after the game, you know, I, I asked him, you know, what went into the decision to start Bowman or, or to move to Bowman instead of Duffy after McLean Carter went out. He said that Bowman had a better grasp of the offense. And, and Bowman played in an offense in high school that was very similar, in a very similar air raid style system. But still, I mean, Jet Duffy is a third-year sophomore. And, and granted, there's been times that he's been away from the team. But he's still a third-year sophomore c- competing with a guy who got here in January. You know, and, and Cliff Kingsbury saying that, that Bowman's a guy who knows the offense better. But anyway, we don't want to just talk about the quarterbacks this whole time. Again, Ole Miss was able to dominate them because of big plays. And, and Texas Tech was missing a couple of key defenders. Uh, obviously, Octavius Morgan is out for the season. Joshon Johnson ended up being out for this game with, uh, I believe, a shoulder injury. And they lost Desmond Smith the first drive of the game because he was called for targeting. So all of a sudden they had to be playing with a bunch of defensive backs who weren't supposed to play major snaps for them. And it showed. Actually, you know, the crazy stat of this game, and it really comes down to this, is that the shortest touchdown that Texas Tech allowed was 30-40 yards. Like, Ole Miss just kept beating them long. It was DK Metcalf, it was A.J. Brown, it was even their running backs. And, And Ole Miss hadn't put up 200 rushing yards in a game for like two years and, and they come into this game and they're able to kind of have their way and break off these huge plays and look Texas Tech was supposed to have a much improved defense and at this point that hasn't really materialized as yet I mean Ole Miss 
Let's see what they finished up with. They finished up with 546 yards, and they could have had more. I mean, again, they, they did sort of pull back after a while because they realized that they didn't have to keep kind of going the way that they were going. And now, granted, there were some bright spots for Texas Tech. I mean, again, I think that by the end of the game, Bowman looked a lot more comfortable. He had some big-time passes. He didn't turn over the ball, which is pretty impressive for a freshman in his first career game, playing against a pretty athletic defense. Uh, at running back, DeLeon Ward had a fantastic game. He had 17 carries for 90 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and Texas Tech's offensive line looked fine, and they did a good job of clearing some paths for the running back. I, I think that that's going to serve them well as the season heads forward. Um, but again, I mean, this was sort of a barometer game for Texas Tech of, you know, is this going to be a team that's just fighting for bowl eligibility, or maybe will they be more than that? And right now it kind of looks like they're just going to be fighting for bowl eligibility because Ole Miss is also sort of in that camp. Now, I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, that Ole Miss is still bowl banned, so they, they won't necessarily be making a bowl game, but they're kind of in that drive for six wins, right? But, again, if Tech is going to lose to Ole Miss, well, okay, they've got Houston, they've got at Oklahoma State, they've got versus West Virginia, they've got at TCU. These aren't very winnable games. I mean, again, just you start to look at that schedule, and and that's the funny thing about the Big 12, right? Like, there's only really one top-end talent team, and that's Oklahoma. And so if you're a top-end talent team, you're like, oh, well, you know, the rest of the conference is fairly average. But if you're an average team, I mean, again, that means that you can finish anywhere between, like, second and, like, ninth. I mean, because I think that pretty much all those teams are going to be competing for the same things. And granted, I think that whether it's TCU or whether it's West Virginia, which I think are the two most likely contenders, I think that those... That whichever team that is will kind of be will, will rise above, right? You know, will will kind of be the second to Oklahoma's number one, and then it'll be more three to nine or maybe four to nine competing for that middle tier. But if you're Texas Tech, again, all of a sudden it's like, well, we might not beat Iowa State, we might not beat Kansas State, we might not beat Baylor, we might not. I mean, again, it it just starts to get really difficult all of a sudden, and. Before long, I mean, credit to Cliff Kingsbury and credit to Texas Tech. You know, they don't want to just have gimme victories. They don't want to just pick up three wins and then move on. But at the same time, it makes your job a lot harder. <laughs> and so, um, again, I, I think Texas Tech has a tough path ahead, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Now on to TCU. Uh, they just had kind of a very easy game. They just played against Southern. But Sean Robinson looked pretty good in his full-time starting debut. Obviously, he started one game last year against Texas Tech. But this was his sort of, uh, you know, he gets the offseason, he gets all of that. Uh, he completes 17 of 24 passes, four 182 yards, three touchdowns, and a 55-7 to victory. He also adds 45 rushing yards, and on two carries, he has two touchdowns. I mean, that, that does sound a lot like Sean Robinson. I mean, again, he's a crazy athlete, has the ability to do a lot of things both with his arm and his feet. Again, he looks ready. I mean, you know, it's... It's Southern, you know, we don't want to read into anything too much, but he looked pretty good. He looked pretty accurate. And, and again, I think that next week they'll play SMU uh, at SMU, and SMU's defense isn't great, but it's better than Southern. So we'll, we'll kind of see where to go from there. Now here's a weird game. This is called the Bayou Bucket game, by the way, if people don't know. Uh, Houston versus Rice. And, and this was supposed to be a blowout, right? Because Houston coming into the year has pretty reasonable expectations, you know, sort of eight, nine wins. Um, and Rice last year wins one game and, and looks pretty horrible down the stretch against Prairie View A&M. They barely pull off a 31-28 victory last week. 
But then Rice comes in here and they start messing things up right away. I mean, they take a lead early. And, and granted, Houston comes back, eventually does win 45-27. But Rice led for a huge portion of this game. In fact, at the half, it was 24-17 Rice. And then they kick a field goal, too, to make it 27-17. I mean, look, my thought process on this is that Ed Oliver is the best defense player in the country. He's the best player in the country. I figured that he'd just plug up all the gaps and it would be impossible to go anywhere. But apparently that wasn't the case. Apparently um, Rice was still able to get some breakaway rushing plays. They have rushed for 147 yards, which is more than I thought that they'd do. Um, you know, their quarterbacks had a pretty good game. Sean Stankovich was the starter, and he had a pretty nice game. He threw for three touchdowns with only one interception. And, and granted, down the stretch, Houston did find their, their uh, you know, the, Houston was able to find a little bit of rhythm, and, and obviously De'Eric King was able to get things going, finished with 320 yards and three touchdowns. But, I mean, for two or three quarters, it was ugly. I mean, I mean, Houston could not get very much going. It wasn't a great debut for Kendall Bryles as offensive coordinator, um, but, you know, they do get things going. They do have a big, uh, you know, second half, because actually they only had three points in the first quarter, but then they score two touchdowns in each of the next three quarters to eventually score 45 points, but again, they weren't impressive front, right from the start, and and look, Rice isn't a very good team right now. I mean, it, it's not that... I think that Mike Bloomgren's the perfect hire for them. Again, offense coordinator from Stanford. I think if you're Rice, that's the guy that you want right from the get-go. But, you know, it's it's supposed to take time. I mean, building a Stanford-like program is supposed to take time. You're supposed to have to recruit the kind of guys that you want to recruit. And that potentially means that the results aren't there early. But, again, if, if you're Houston, what does that mean that you kind of struggled with that? That you kind of struggled to defend that? that and, and, again... Uh, Stankovic had a good game, but again, that, that's just not quite what you're looking for if you're Houston. And, you know, they managed to pull it off, but uh, I don't know. It, it just wasn't terribly encouraging. We're going to move over to UTEP real quick, just kind of touch on them. They struggle a lot in a 30-10 to 10 loss to Northern Arizona. And Northern Arizona, I mean, not just an FCS team, but kind of an okay FCS team. They're on the outside of the of the FCS top 25, um, you know, finished, I think, 7-6 and six last year. So this <laughs> this isn't a great start, you know. And, um, again, 30-10 to 10 loss, uh, UTEP against Northern Arizona. They played both quarterbacks, Ryan Metz and Kyle Loxley. Loxley looks a lot better. I think he's going to be the guy heading forward. He only completes half his passes, but it's for 120 yards, whereas Ryan Metz goes 2-5 for five for 7 yards. And obviously, Loxley has some of that rushing ability. He rushes for 50 yards, but man, you know, again, it's one of those things, again, like I was talking about earlier. UTEP looks at their schedule, and they play at UNLV, which isn't really a winnable game. They play at Tennessee, which is an incredibly losable game. And then they're right into the CUSA slate. I mean, <laughs> look... Whenever you hire Dana Dimmel, it's it's like hiring Bloomgren, like I was talking about. It's going to take time to build up what you want to do. But man, if you're going to win a game this year, you have to beat Northern Arizona. And, and that was the most winnable game on your schedule. And not only did they lose it, they lost it in dominant fashion. They lost by a lot. So again, I don't know where they go from here now. Uh, you know, I it's not terribly encouraging. And look, I mean, again, UTEP fans kind of experienced that last year, but 
uh, it looks like it's going to just be a little bit more of the same, unfortunately. And, and you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, the encouragement or improvement can happen throughout the season. And Kai Loxley's talented, and maybe when he's sort of the guy as he appears to be now, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to work with. But at this point, whew, it, it doesn't look real good. <laughs> Now we're going to go ahead and jump out of state and talk about the UTSA Roadrunners. They go on the road to Tempe, Arizona to play Arizona State. And folks, it doesn't go so well. It really, really does not go so well. Obviously, this is Herm Edwards' debut. I think a lot of people thought that maybe there'd be some mayhem. Um, there was, just not maybe the type that we thought. Arizona State crushes UTSA 49-7. to They hold UTSA to just two rushing yards as a team. Two! I mean, again, and some of that's due to sacks, some of that's due to tackles behind the line of scrimmage, but my goodness, I mean, two rushing yards on 34 attempts, that's that's pitiful. I, I mean, UTSA really got killed in the trenches. If I remember uh, if I remember right, I think that they were sacked nine times. Again, this is Arizona State. This isn't Alabama. There's no reason that they should be just absolutely obliterating your line. And on the other end, I mean, again, they passed for 237 yards and four touchdowns. They rushed for 266 yards and two touchdowns. They dominate you on both ends of the field. say doesn't look like they deserve to be on the same field with Arizona State. Look, I, I think that maybe Frank Wilson might have missed his window. Again, because last year, they had a lot of talent. They had a lot of returning talent. They had some high-end talent like Marcus Davenport. After beating Baylor, there was sort of a thought process that, hey, maybe... UTSA is this sort of sexy, dark horse Conference USA pick. All of a sudden, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they missed their chance. I, I mean, because Arizona State's not a terribly talented team. I, I mean, they're good. They're fine. They have some good receivers. They have some good running backs. But there's no reason they, sh- they should have dominated UTSA the way that they did on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that's the part that's sort of most inexplicable to me is, is the way that they dominated them on defense, but huh, however it happened, I mean, again, UTSA only scores seven points and gives up 49 against Arizona State. The Herm Edwards era, apparently off to a great start in Tempe, 49-7, 49 points from a Herm Edwards offense. I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened, honestly. Anyway, we'll move up the road now to Texas State. They played against Rutgers. They go on the road, play against Rutgers. Um, you know, show some nice things early, show some resilience early, but uh, I mean, again, they just can't keep up. It, offensively, things just look pretty, pretty pitiful. I mean, Willie Jones only six for nineteen for seventy-nine yards and a thirty-five to seven loss on the road at Rutgers. He throws an interception. Tyler Vitt only gets three for five for twenty-one yards. I mean, again, they, they just can't get anything going offensively. And and granted, Rutgers does have a slightly underrated defense and, and again they play against other big 10 teams so like that's what you see them compared against and, and Texas State Texas State did do some nice things defensively as well I mean granted they gave up 35 points but they picked off uh Rutgers quarterback three times actually on Saturday Archer Sitskowski I mean again that, that's something to build on at least again they 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 hung around they made things a little bit more difficult than they needed to be but yeah I mean Texas State just couldn't get anything going offensively that's really concerning again I mean it's just hard to know where exactly you go from here uh you know but but granted you're playing a power five team on the road that's always going to be a tough 
a tough thing to do, and Texas State has plenty of time to kind of rebound and get things back together, but not a great start to this year for Texas State. Um, you know, we'll have to see what Everett Withers has up his sleeve, and hopefully has something, because, you know, he's starting to get a little bit hotter. And we're going to wrap up with Baylor versus Abilene Christian. Baylor 55, Abilene Christian 27. Look, I don't know if I totally believe that Baylor actually had a quarterback controversy on their hands. After seeing Jalen McClendon actually play in a football game and actually play meaningful snaps, I'm t- I'll, I'll tell you what, this is a very real quarterback controversy because McClendon goes 10 for 13 for 173 yards and two touchdowns. And and look, out of those three uh, incompletions, one was just, a, actually two were, were drops. Two were drops and, and were perfectly thrown balls. The other, fine, whatever, that was an incompletion. But like, McClendon had an impeccable day. I mean, I was kind of joking with somebody because I was at this game and then I was watching the UNT game on my laptop. Between McClendon and Fine, I mean, that was a phenomenal quarterback performance. I mean, it, it was one of the best days of watching quarterbacks that I've seen in a very, very long time. And yeah, I mean, the state of Texas is known for quarterbacks. It's like their whole deal. <laughs> but but um, McClendon and it just goes out there, puts on a show, and, and Brewer struggles a little bit, uh, 8 for 15 for 138 yards and an interception, uh, especially after he after McClendon came in and started playing really well. It just got a little bit tougher. Um, you know, it, it was hard. I, I think that Brewer really struggled seeing the way that McClendon was playing, um, and he tightened up a little bit. I mean, because, you know, Matt Rules even said, the thing that's so great about Charlie is that he p- plays free. He plays wide open and free, and, you know, he, he just really struggled to do that. And, um, you know, but but McClendon really looks like he does actually deserve a very legitimate shot at the starting job, if not the starting job. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to be gifted anything, but, but I mean, McClendon really does look like the guy. Uh, again, he came here... In the summer, uh, I was talking to Jamichael Hasty, and he was saying that that McClendon comes in, he learns the playbook almost immediately. And and Will points out this is a 22 year old guy competing with a 19 year old. I, I mean, again, McClendon looked like the older player, looked like the fifth year senior that he is. He's he was impressive, man. I I don't know. It, I I think that it's going to be hard for Baylor to not play McClendon going forward. But I do also want to talk about Baylor's running backs. They had a fantastic effort. They rushed for 295 yards. John Lovett and Jamichael Hasty, particularly, only 22 carries between the two, but combined for 217 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, look, again, it's Abilene Christian. <laughs> Trying to overreact to anything is silly, but at the same time, last year, obviously, these same players, you know, or many of them, were, were losing their first FCS game to Liberty. You know, they won one game last year. And so to come out there, score 55 points, really make things look easy, that's encouraging, I think, if you're a Baylor fan. Uh, you know, they blocked well enough, even after losing left tackle Josh Malin to an undisclosed injury. We still don't quite know exactly what it is. Now, defensively, there were a couple of lapses. And again, it was the same sort of things that we saw last season, where it was just giving up big plays. I mean, they gave up, I think, a 75-yard touchdown run and a 54-yard touchdown pass. Those are the sorts of plays that you have to eliminate. I mean, again, because against Abilene Christian, 14 points isn't that big a deal. But when you start playing Big 12 games, and again, Baylor was in eight games where they were within a score in the fourth quarter last season, and they went 0-8 in those games. The way that you don't go 0-8 in those games is you make those plays. 
you know, you prevent those big plays. That's what you have to do. I, I mean, if you can't prevent those big plays, then eventually you're just going to run out of steam and you're going to be in big trouble. And Baylor still looks like they have a little bit of trouble defending against those. And, and look, granted, Abilene Christian made some plays. They made some big-time plays, and they deserve credit for doing it. But at the same time, again, Baylor has to really button down on those mistakes because those are the differences between winning and losing games. Against Duke last year, all of the touchdowns were 35 yards or more. Against Texas Tech, a bunch of the touchdowns were big plays. You know, So if Baylor can cut down on those, then all of a sudden bull eligibility looks very realistic. But it's going to take cutting down on those things and, and uh, you know being able to complete those plays, make those second efforts tackle in open space, all of those things. And right now, there's reason for concern, if we're being honest. Well, everybody, I just want to thank you for joining us for the first Sunday edition of the college football season. We're finally back. We're finally back, folks. It's week one. It's over. All the Texas teams got to play this weekend. College football season's officially here. We want to give a quick thank you to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. And they've been very helpful to us, and we really appreciate them out here. Uh, you know, they do a great job. They're actually right by our office, pretty much. Um, and everybody, you know, if you like this show, we, we want to hear your feedback. You know, you can follow me on Twitter, at Roger. You can find it in the show notes. You know, but but I love to interact with everybody on here. I love to get your questions. I love to hear feedback on the show. You know, what do you want us to do differently? This is a learning process for all of us. And, and you know, this is... This is obviously now my show now that I've kind of taken it over from David Ubbin, but, you know, we want to be able to do things for the fans. You know, we want this to be your show as well. Um, and that means writing in, that means giving me feedback, that means emailing us, that means tweeting at us. Uh, and look, if you like what you hear, then please, by all means, can you, it would really help us out if you would subscribe to us on whatever your preferred podcast app is, if you would give us a five-star review on it, and if you would just tell your friends about it. But guys, look, week one is here, it's over, we have college football, we have real college football to talk about, and folks, we are just getting started over here at Dave Campbell Sex Football. So for Ryan McDonald, I'm Shahan J. Raja, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back with you on Wednesday.